Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. But tonight we will be discussing, will Martin Luther King's dream ever be achieved? Where should the House of Lords be based? And are you bilingual? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you to send your opinions over on the question, is social media overall negative to society? And we've had lots of really interesting opinions come in. So the first is from George, not not our George, a different George, uh, saying, I thought about this a lot because for as much as social media has changed the world in such a massive way, I do think that overall it's actually a really bad thing. People now do things just for the gram, which is such a strong message of how addictive social media is. Instead of actually living in the real world, people are adapting their lives to doing things that will look good on social media. Fundamentally, I find that so concerning because it has made people care less about their actual life and what happens offline and all about sharing certain things for other people to see. And let's be real, we hope that people will be jealous about what we're posting. That is the basis of what social media is. And it's definitely such a bad thing for all of us. George, what what do you make of George's (laughs) opinion there? (laughs) Um, Well, I think um, George highlights some really, really interesting points. It's it's interesting that he's uh, saying about how we are trying to make our lives seem incredibly nice and and to make people jealous over social media um and and it's in my opinion i believe it's what element of social media you use if we are talking about instagram then yeah i do see that people do try and make other people other people jealous on, on what they do and and how they live and everything when in actual fact it's it's not actually how they live all the time um but thinking about it and and as you were reading that opinion out callum i was thinking 
is this more a generational thing of of trying to make other people jealous because i personally feel that i don't overly post that much to instagram i mean my last post was on new years and before that it was it was in august um when i think you and i went out callum and (laughs) it's um it, for me, I don't potentially really post on on Instagram to to be like, wow, look at my life. It's it's I post on Instagram to be, this is a memorable moment of my life, and I want to share it with my friends. Um, and I don't know whether due to younger generations coming up with just the use of social media, whether that's the point of, oh, look how fantastic my life is. Look at my Instagram. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. What are your opinions on that? Do you do you think that? there is that generational split or am I just being naive and, and actually um, maybe subconsciously without me realizing I am posting pictures on there to show how fantastic my life is? I think kind of a, a little bit of both really, because I, I think you're right that there is a generational thing in, in terms of, um, I think when you get a little bit older, you treat um, Instagram and social media in general with the kind of, contempt almost that, that you need to to, to be healthy and, and realize that it actually means nothing as such but i do think also there is an argument that everyone really uses social media um in order to brag about their lives in a certain a sort of sense or at least not necessarily everyone does but there's a there's a large sect of people that do want to do that i think even if you look on facebook you know you see about um mothers posting about the fact that you know oh look at the amazing christmas presents we've got for for our child or or or, oh look at us we're such good parents because we've we've got a hot tub for them or or a swimming pool um and i'm not necessarily saying that someone that that gets those things um can't be a good parent but i'm saying that that you know bragging about those sorts of things that's that's not the fundamentals of what what makes a good parent and I, i think you know that is something that does um, transcend across generations. People um, using social media to, um, you know, brag about their lives effectively. Um, so, so I think in in response to your question, I think there's kind of a a middle ground there where where sometimes yes, um, there is a, a generational divide and, and people are kind of have healthier attitudes towards it when they get older. But also, I think everyone does, to a certain extent, use it to brag about how good their life is. And before I move on to the next opinion that's coming on what you've just said, if we can't use social media like Instagram and Facebook to to brag about the things in life that we're proud of, what can we really use social media for? I guess the for the fundamental purpose that originally was there to to socialise, to catch up with old friends. Um, you know, I mean, that's fundamentally, I mean, it's it's only kind of social media is like a logical extension of the telephone, really, or, or a letter. Uh, if you look back even further, I mean, it, all it is, is it's a way to to connect ourselves. And I think in answer to the overall question that we're posing in terms of is social media overall negative to society, I'd say fundamentally, I don't I don't think it is overall negative because it does. Um, connect us better in in ways that really telephone and and letters never could do of course there's some downsides to that um, with this kind of always on world that we live in Um, but I think fundamentally um, that's what social media's purpose is I mean do you do you agree with that George that, that social media's true goal 
should be rather than about bragging about how great our life is it should be about actually you know chatting to friends and catching up with people that you haven't caught up with in ages yeah i i ultimately do agree with that and and i think um to an element unfortunately that has definitely uh, been lost um our next opinion comes in from Safia, and I do apologize if I do pronounce your name wrong there. Um, and she says it has its pros and its cons, but I think that social media as a whole is too complicated and varied in order to put one label on it. For example, it has made it so much easier to speak to people from all over the world. I can literally talk to any of my friends, no matter where they are, wherever they are for free. And not just speak to them either, but share videos, photos, emojis. It has connected us in amazing ways. But the thing I don't like about it is how self-conscious it can make you feel because your profile is meant to be a representation of who you are. Instagram isn't just a fun place to share photos with your friends anymore. It's a status symbol, but it's also so addictive. As I said, it's just, it has its pros and cons. And I think it's up to us to decide how we use it and that we will determine it if it is good for us or bad for us so callum do you think it is kind of a swings around about kind of thing do you think it's a there are definitely pros and cons or do you think it is simply it's a con or a pro uh, no I, I completely um agree that, that that there's pros and cons to it really um uh, you know as i said and as um safia said um instagram itself you know has become this status symbol um which in many ways is a negative thing but also i mean it does give um people a chance to to show off the amazing experiences they're having so I suppose even that thing which we've been quite critical of in terms of, you know, bragging, which I, I'd say Instagram is probably the prime example of social media being used solely for the purpose of bragging. It does also have a, a good thing as well. I mean, when my um, brother went to Australia and he was out there for for over a year living there, I mean, he, he was posting these photos on, on Instagram of these amazing things that he was doing. Um, but... I, that served the purpose of actually telling me what he was doing and and i suppose for other people giving them that kind of aspiration i don't think that's necessarily always a harmful thing it's just um you know you've got to accept that sometimes there is some harm if you overly um focus upon that as such mm. i mean what do you think about this george do you, do you um agree that there's there's pros and cons and we shouldn't be coming down hard either way Oh, absolutely. There are pros and cons around around the whole thing with social media. Um, and, and I think in a way, social media nowadays is just a modern day version of going around your nan's house and her getting out the photo albums and saying, oh, look, that was you. I mean, this is just it's kind of showing my age, I suppose. But um, <laughs> this just this is when you were younger and this is when you first learned to walk. And um, and then my nan getting out the other photo albums of when she was younger, saying, oh, look, this was when um, your grandpa and I went away. And this is us in Las Vegas and stuff. And in a way, yeah, you could translate that as bragging in a way and, and, and showing that she was proud of what she did in, in that circumstance and proud of of me when i was younger as well um but instead of having it in a photo album on a shelf we're now having it on our phones on the big worldwide web um and it's up for people to to go and look at those photos and and the the biggest thing i i have is is or, or 
thing I have against what some people say about, oh, you just shove it in our faces and stuff. You can, to those people that say that, I say, look, if you don't like seeing it, don't have me as a friend or unfollow me. It's it's as simple as that. I don't push certain things into your face. So I, and, and those people that, that are, can be judgy or say hurtful things on, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, just block them straight away because yes, it can turn quite judgy and, and it's, it's wrong when it does that. Cause at the end of the day, you're just trying to show that you're proud of a moment and that you think sometimes that you look good in a picture and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree there. Just moving on to our final opinion. It's from Michaela. Michaela said, everything in moderation is okay for you, right? The problem with social media is that it's designed to be totally addictive. It's like chocolate and sweets. They're designed to make you want more and more and more. But we have regulations on chocolates and sweets and basically no regulation on social media. For me, the thing which made me put social media in the bad category was when I realized that these pages that are dedicated to wellness and making you feel better actually only make you feel worse because they make you feel like you aren't doing enough to feel better about yourself, if that makes sense. So even a social media account trying to do good actually does bad. Then again, what am I doing about this? I still use social media every day for hours a day, and I'm trapped in the same loop as the rest of us. I mean, George, that really sums it up quite nicely, doesn't it? I mean, social media does have all of these negative things and positives, as we've said, but we're all almost trapped in it in, in a way. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, totally. We we can be incredibly negative um, and critical of social media. But um, as Michaela brightly says, what are we actually really doing about it? Because we might, you know, Callum and I might speak against Twitter, but I can guarantee you after this radio show, both him and I will then sit on Twitter, not together. I'm not saying that like, we'll sit in bed together. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll separately uh, look at Twitter um, and, and just indulge within it and, and even Instagram and, and so on and so forth. But um it's a very welcome question to ask what are we actually doing about it is it time that the government look at having certain time frames or when we are allowed on social media or then are we then going against our human rights of, of freedom um or should we bring, start bringing taxes on how long we use social media like the sugar tax um there are a lot of questions and a lot of things that we can try and introduce to regulate what we do on social media. Um, what do you think, Callum? Do you think it's it's time that the government kind of bring in uh, timeframes of when we're allowed to go onto social media? Uh, I think it'd be very difficult for that to be implemented. Um, and, and I think really um, that's a, a, a really good discussion that we could have another time to, to kind of expand that out because there's definitely, um, as Michaela says, there is more that could be done. Um, but, um, you know, getting into that is is it opening a whole can of worms, really. Yeah. Um, right then. Uh, remember, we'll be announcing what the question would be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. And we've reached time for our first song break of this evening, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. Let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, will Martin Luther King's dream ever be achieved so on august the 28th 1963 
250,000 people gathered in Washington, D.C. to participate in the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. It is now known simply as March on Washington. The March was the largest event of its kind, with over double the attendance of the also record-breaking Walk to Freedom in Detroit earlier that year. During the March, Martin Luther King did a speech, commonly known as I Have a Dream, which called for an end to discrimination in voting rights, employment and policing. King's dream of an America free from racial prejudice resonated with his hundreds of thousands of immediate listeners. Of one of the uh, speeches, most powerful lines reads, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So, Callum, do you believe that King's dream will ever be achieved? I think it's, uh, you know, a really difficult one. I, I think realistically, um, it, it's probably not going to be achieved in, in absolute terms. Um, you know, people, some people will still judge people by the colour of their skin, primarily, um, whether they know it or not. I mean, I, so I think if you polled the majority of the population of America or anywhere, really, that they, they would say that racism is wrong. So yeah. so on that basis, I suppose his his dream is achieved in theory. Um, but I think in, in actual reality, it, it's not. And, you know, we, we see problems in terms of um, racial profiling um, within the police force, um, particularly in the United States. Um, you know, where, where um, black and Hispanic people are much more likely to um, to be um, given a, a random um, search by police and suspected of crimes by police than what white people would be. Um, and so on that basis, they're not really being judged by the content of their character. They're being judged by the color of their skin. Um, and while I think realistically we don't ever get completely rid of that i think we can improve things certainly um but i don't think we ever completely get rid of that um but of course we have to just keep working hard to um ensure that that is minimized as much as possible and and having frank conversations such as this one about that does i think you know help that um process along i mean what do you think josh do you think this dream can ever be achieved as as you've rightly said, Callum, it's a very, very difficult uh, topic, really. I, I think if we look at where we have come from in 57 years since uh, Martin Luther King did this speech, possibly we can say that we can be um, happy with the achievements that we have made so far in terms of the equality that we have been able to achieve Um and I think that we are in a much better place than we were 57 years ago. Um, and I'm, that is not to say that we should be ultimately proud of where we are, um, because there is still a very long way to go to make sure that we do reach ultimate equality. Um, the hardest question is whether it could ever actually be achieved because you so rightly say Canon, that there will still be people that judge people just by the color of their skin and i don't believe that no matter how far we are along in generations that 
underlying tone of racism will unfortunately still be there in some people um and i unfortunately don't believe that there is really any way that that can be stamped out i mean yes possibly through um the environment and through social um traditions in terms of changing our traditions and changing the way we talk to people and approach people that could eventually be stemmed out but i don't think it will be in any of uh, mine or your lifetime callum it's something that is so important that we talk about and i still uh, strongly believe that it isn't talked about enough um the equality of people no matter where they come from whether um they are women or gays or um they are black or from any other minor ethical community um and it's so important that we are helping to promote the idea of equality for these people because um it's even today there are still these racial issues that happen and it's so so wrong um and i think unfortunately we sometimes don't help ourselves within these racial issues we are so sometimes even to, in today's society we so easily brush them off as if they are nothing and we just don't talk about them enough um, and i think that is still one of the best ways we can tackle this and ensure that we do achieve uh, martin luther king's dream is by just initiating that conversation between people about equality yeah, yeah. No, I think you, you're you right. Um, the, the, the conversation is massively important to be had. Um, I mean, do, do you think that based upon what's happening in today's world, if Martin Luther King was still around and he was giving that speech today, do, do you think that um, he would be arguing for virtually the same things? Um, because I think obviously that's a really good way of judging whether or not he's been successful in many ways i mean do, do you think he'd be arguing for effectively the same thing or or has the um kind of bar for that dream moved higher now i i think in in, in some elements of his speech he would be able to he wouldn't need to say them anymore i think we do have the equality around voting rights is practically there now um especially in our country callum anyone that is a citizen of this country that um, has a British passport has the right to vote as long as you're over the age of um, 18. Uh, I think that is good. I think employment, that is still definitely an area to work on. But I think, again, there have been massive improvements within that. Um, if Martin Luther King was alive today, I believe that the, the elements of his speech maybe wouldn't be so... Um, uh, so different as to what our life is i think because our uh, i would like to believe that society overall believes in what martin luther king's dream is and he wouldn't have to be so um at the time so controversial in the things that he was saying because and i think i believe that a lot of people would be nodding along to what he is saying and want to achieve that so i think ultimately it wouldn't have to be so um make so much of an impact to have the effect that he ultimately wanted to have um i don't know if i'm making sense there callum but do you do you uh, do you kind of see where i'm coming from yeah yeah no i definitely um see where you're coming from um i mean i mean my, my personal opinion is that ultimately the substance of what he's saying 
would still a, a hell of a lot of it would apply in today's world and although obviously yeah things have massively improved um you know in terms of policing and employment rights as you say george there's still so much more work to be done but at the same time i do also think that um you know they were starting from a very low bar um mm. back mm. when martin luther king gave his speech as such and back when he was campaigning for, for civil rights um Whereas now that bar would have to go a lot higher. I mean, it's the same if you think about all kind of minority representation. I mean, um, women's rights initially in in this country um, with the with the suffragettes movement was just simply about getting voting rights. Whereas mm-hmm. now that's moved on to a lot more, and and it and it kind of gave birth to this this movement in terms of the me too movement and and a a real change in terms of the the power dynamics within society and between genders um and and i i think you know we can see echoes of that in the u.s civil rights movement um which has similarly you know initially it was just maybe about stopping segregation and and giving them voting rights and and stopping this kind of overt racism but now you know that has to move on and and that dream has to um in in many ways um be updated for the for the 21st century for for 2020 as we're scarily in Mm. and callum what way do you think um people will be voting on this question i think that people will say it's, very, it's difficult I, I think people will say no it can't be achieved but only a small um majority as such so 55 percent will say no um this dream can't be achieved what about you um i will agree with you but i will say uh 53 of people will say that it can't be. <laughs> undercutting me george that is uh... a nasty tactic do not do not appreciate that <laughs> kind of got a little bit angry there um (laughs) so it is now time for our second song break of this evening and remember to vote on this question will martin luther king's dream ever be achieved and you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen uh and we'll be back after this song Hello and welcome back. So the results of the poll of the question, will Martin Luther King's dream ever be achieved? Are So 42% of you said yes, they will be achieved. And 58% of you said no, they aren't. So a clear winner for me there, Callum. (laughs) I think uh, you'll find George, I was slightly closer. I mean, obviously, um, joking aside as such, um, obviously that is a really... um, sad thing really but I, th- I think it is unfortunately you just have to accept it. it's human nature that some people will be and i probably can't repeat what word i'm thinking of uh, on yeah. the radio I, I think but but ultimately um i would try and be optimistic about this and say if we ask this question again in 10 years time um i would like to think that those results would be flipped around yeah yeah hopefully or certainly yeah more 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 people will be optimistic so yeah, yeah i agree Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening, and we are asking where should the House of Lords be based? So the government is examining whether to move the House of Lords out of London, the Conservative Party chairman James Cleverly recently said. 
He said the idea was among a range of options being considered to reconnect politics with voters outside of the capital. York and Birmingham are thought to be amongst the most likely contenders to play host to the second chamber of Britain's parliament, but there are numerous places with a viable claim to house Britain's peers. But where do you listeners think the House of Lords should be based? Should it simply remain in London? Perhaps it should move to York with its historical ties to the monarchy? Or Birmingham, Manchester or Liverpool might take your fancy as they are in different circumstances known as the second city. Or maybe even Cardiff should be the base of the House of Lords to show this really is a kingdom for all Brits, not just the English. Or finally, perhaps you think none of the above are good enough to house this institution and instead you'd opt for another city or even town. We'd love to hear what you think. But first, George, what do you think? Our list is clearly missing the obvious choice of Margate hosting the second chamber, surely. Um, well, it, Margate already hosts a uh, lovely chamber, which is called Thanagistic Council, and it already has a uh, an amazing person on it called uh, Councillor George Cup. So we don't need any competition there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, it's, do you know what? It's, it's really strange this kind of question because i must admit it's not really a question that i ever thought we would be uh talking about before the general election um i mean it, i would absolutely welcome a question saying should we get rid of the house of lords or should it be under reform uh because i would definitely be ticking the yes box there but ultimately i i believe that this is a process that the government wants to take to to reform the house of lords and also try and give a bit more importance to the northern line um, of the seats that the Conservative Party won. And to try and get rid of the idea that everyone is just evolved around the city of London and that Britain, quite rightly so, is bigger than just London. So I, I, I can see where the government and, and James Cleverley is coming from, because I think it would be quite important to ensure that it is moved elsewhere to, to allow importance and to allow the significance of those cities to be recognised um, in our great nation. So I would probably uh, I would probably have to go for somewhere between Birmingham or Manchester personally for it to be moved. I with everything that's going on with the Houses of Parliament. So at the moment, the House of Parliament will be going under um, a complete revamp and they're going to be changing it all around and everything. We're not changing it around, but making it more modern um, in the, the near future. And I think because of that, it's a perfect time to be able to, to move the House of Lords and maybe possibly make the House of Lords Chamber right now um, a kind of museum. So... For me, Birmingham would be a good area. I think Birmingham is a, a fantastic city. Callum went to university there. That's not why it's a fantastic city, but um, <laughs> it, it's a, it is a lovely city, and I've been there many a time. Um, the Conservative Party hold their conference in Birmingham every other year, um, and I think it would definitely allow us to, to show that that the importance isn't just in London. There are other fantastic cities around the country. So, um, so yeah, I would definitely be pushing for Birmingham Birmingham or Manchester. How about you, though, Callum? Where where will you be uh, putting your vote for the Lords to go to? Um, well, I think in a certain sense, uh, trying to move the House of Lords just to me feels a little um, 
maybe I'm t- looking at this too cynically, but I think it, it it's just a way of saying, oh, we're more in touch with um, with the North and with the Midlands without actually re- realistically being more in touch with them. Um, uh, but on the same at the same time i can see there's a massive actual benefit to having suddenly um loads of peers come into a particular area as such because it will massively boost the the hotels and restaurants and general you know entertainment venues in that area um so so i think on that on the balance between those two things i think you know there is a clear practical benefit to this so I suppose on that basis, I'm not going to say it should just stay in London. Um, although I do see there is obviously a, a practical benefit in terms of that because the House of Lords is meant to be the second chamber and, you know, they have to do readings of of the bills that go through the House of Commons. They have to do them in the House of Lords too. So there is a practical, um, you know, um, logic to it being based in London. But I think, you know, under some of things, um, re- realistically it should move I don't think it should move to Manchester personally um, because I think although as you say there is a, a claim of Manchester being like the second city um, I think Manchester is actually a place that isn't particularly in touch with the rest of the country as such in that Manchester is very metropolitan it's 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 quite similar to London in many ways whereas really if we're going to move to House of Lords I think we should try and do it to somewhere where you know is much more in tune with the the pulse of the nation as it were I think Birmingham is much more akin to that um because Birmingham is you know it's it, you just get the feeling that Birmingham is is far more down to earth when you go there than what maybe you do of Manchester, I think. Um, but then I also think, you know, York is a really beautiful city. It's much further up north than Birmingham as well. So there's a practical benefit to that. And and, and finally, I'd, I'd say as well, you know, you could make a strong case, I think, for Cardiff because of the fact that it's unlikely that the Welsh are going to go independent anytime soon. So, you know, if we're talking about Glasgow, there's a real practical issue with that. But with Cardiff, it would be a really strong symbol that Wales's place in the United Kingdom is is really strongly valued um, Mm -hmm. and that this isn't just a parliament to do English things. It's also for Welsh people as well. So I think there's a really strong argument to be made for there too. Um, and, you know, the transport links to Cardiff are quite strong as well, as they are with realistically all of the options we've given here. I mean, George, we, we've obviously mentioned that there's a there's an other option. Um, <laughs> where do you think we we maybe should be saying in, instead of all of these ones? I, I, I think possibly that there is there is a claim, even though there could be the practicality issues of. Um, them going independent but I do believe there is definitely the claim of putting the House of Lords up in Glasgow or Edinburgh somewhere like that just to to I don't know to to show like you would put it in Wales to show that Scotland is part of the United Kingdom that it shouldn't go independent and that they can still be part of the main parliament and be part of our country that they aren't just a forgotten cause um and i would definitely definitely put either edinburgh or glasgow under the other section because i I don't personally see how or where um it would be a benefit of any 
other position other than the ones that are already listed um because i don't really see the, the necessity for it to go down to cornwall i don't think that would be much better there wouldn't be much benefit there unless um the lords um and dames wanted to go surfing um <laughs> or and and then you've got the other extreme of of as Callum said in the introduction, Margate. And I don't actually think that would necessarily really be that much benefit bringing it down to, to Margate because it would still be too close to London is my uh, opinion on that. But Callum, is there, is there any kind of place that jumps out for you in the other section? No, I, I did think about Glasgow as well, as you've, as you've said, George. Um, and I think there's a real practical issue there that Scottish independence is, Although it's not necessarily, I think, the most likely outcome, it's still a risk that it happens and then you have to move the House of Lords again, um, which yeah. wouldn't do anyone any good. And it's too much uncertainty, I think, for, for everyone involved. Um, and I think other than that, you know, there's nowhere that's going to have the transport links available, I think, to, to house the House of Lords. Maybe somewhere like Leeds or, or Sheffield could uh, as well. Um, but but realistically, we're going to have to be looking at a city, aren't we, in a major city yeah. um, at that. I mean, what do you think is going to come out on top? Where do you think people are going to say the House of Lords should be based? I, I first just want to say, Colin, that I think it's quite interesting that when you say Glasgow, you turn Scottish and you go Glasgow. Um, and then when you say Scotland, you say Scotland. So it's it's quite interesting that I didn't realise you were part Scottish. I know, um, just in touch with the Scottish people, aren't I? Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to go for my first choice, which is Birmingham. So, um, yeah, I think Birmingham is going to come out on top. I'm guessing you are going to go for the same. Uh, I think Manchester will come out on top because Manchester is a really popular city. People love Manchester. And I do like Manchester, too. I just don't think it should house the House of Lords. Uh, right, then, it's time for you guys to vote away on this poll. So that question is, where should the House of Lords be based? And the options are London, York, Birmingham, Manchester, Cardiff, Liverpool or other. And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked, where should the House of Lords be based? And you guys have been voting away. So 31% of you said London should be where it's based. 28% uh, of you said Manchester. 17% uh, said York. 12% Cardiff. 6% Birmingham. 4% Liverpool and 2% other. So, George, I mean, that's really come out of nowhere, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, a, a lot of people are saying, let's just keep it. Where it is, it it's the capital after all. I mean, do you think there's a, a logic in that? Um, I suppose so. I don't know what it is though. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I I knew I should have picked London. Uh, and I, I, do you know what's really interesting though? I find is that Birmingham is lower than Cardiff. Um, yeah. And I, I, go on. Sorry, I I think it's because Birmingham there's this conception that it's not a very nice place. Um, whenever I tell people I went to University of Birmingham, they'd say. Birmingham's a bit of a rubbish place to live. I can't really repeat what they say. Um, and uh, I, I don't think it's true. I think Birmingham is nice when you get into the city centre. But, yeah. you know, there, there is that um, um, association of it, I think, as being a, not a very nice place and probably too industrial. Yeah, we'll never forget that Birmingham is the Venice of Britain. Uh, <laughs> 
That's very true. Let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. Um, and we're asking, are you bilingual? So for a very long time, British people have been the worst at learning a second language. According to a survey published by the European Commission, this bad reputation is totally justified. The results of the survey states that 62% of people can't speak any other language apart from their own, which is English. 38% of Britons speak at least one foreign language, 18% of those speak two, and only 6% of those uh, of the population speak three or more. The European Union, my favourite place, uh, average showed that 56% speak at least one foreign language. So, Callum, bist du zweisprachig? And for those who <laughs> don't speak German, Callum, are you look bilingual? <laughs> I don't speak German, George, so I was very, very confused there. Um, <laughs> I, I should know I, I'm not bilingual. And I, I wonder, because I'm actually surprised that 38% of Britons speak at least one foreign language. Um, I, I, you know, I, I really <laughs> struggle to believe that. I wonder if it's like me, I speak Franglais, uh, you know. <laughs> And uh, I, 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 I've learned French a lot. I've done it for <laughs> seven years or something. But it doesn't mean I could actually go to France and have a conversation. I mean, um, my um, my brother's girlfriend is is French and she lives with us. Or, or well, I don't live there now, but I did live with her last year. Um, and she would testify to the fact that I can't speak French. My, my dad tries it sometimes, but he can't speak French either. My brother certainly can't either. We've all done it at points, but, you know, I, I suppose the education system, in a sense, um, is, is letting us down in, in that way. Um, so, so I wonder whether people who say they speak at least one foreign language, I wonder how many of them, you know, really, really, truly uh, do and truly could hold a conversation in a foreign language. But maybe that's just my sceptic hat coming on. Uh, <laughs> George, I mean, unless you're going to suddenly pull, pull something out of the bag, you're not bilingual either, are you? Uh, nein. Uh, ich, no, I'm not even going to try it. Uh, <laughs> I, I am definitely not bilingual. I, I can dabble in the odd German, um, but, I mean, apart from that, I, I'm rather pathetic in other languages. It, I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying there, Karen. I, I would like to know the the actual kind of rules of the, of this survey of whether of how they determined whether someone was fluent or could speak the odd bit of jargon in in French or another language, um, because it, it would be interesting to find out. Because I think everyone really can say that they know the basics of of the French language of you know the bonjour, ça va. Um, Schumerpel, George, and I mean that's as far as it goes. Um, you lost me a bit there, George. Sorry, I didn't know what any of that meant. <laughs> now, joking, I did, of course, know what that meant. <laughs> I was, I was just about to question our friendship there, Callum. Uh, <laughs> I, but, but also, and I, I might get a little bit of hate for this, but I do strongly believe that British people are rather lazy when it comes to learning languages because yeah. I think we have the, um, the mindset that other people speak English in different countries. So what's the point of us learning it? Because when we go abroad, they're just going to speak English to us. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a cyclical thing as well in that um, you, people have those attitudes, but also, you know, our par pe people's parents do not speak another language. 
So therefore, their kids never really are, are exposed to it in any meaningful sense of the word beyond, you know, the, when do we start learning languages in, the, in like year five in school? It's too late by then mm. in many ways. Whereas I think in France and Germany, you know, they're taught it at a much younger age, which is why they're better at it than us. Oh, absolutely. It, it really, really is. Um, and come on, Callum, let's let's dabble with the percentages. What percentage do you think is going to say, um, yes, they are bilingual? Uh, 10%, I think. Uh, maybe wow. people will exaggerate their skills a little bit. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> what about you, George? I'm going to say that it's around uh, 18% are going to say that they're bilingual. Um, and remember to vote on this question. Are you bilingual? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. listen. Uh, and we'll be back after this song break. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, are you bilingual? So 29% of you voted yes and 71% of you voted no. Well, Callum, we were both rather wrong there, but I, I am going to take that one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess you were uh, closer. Uh, yeah, we were, we were well out on that one. Um, I, I want people to send in uh, voice recordings of... Uh, <laughs> of themselves doing speaking these foreign languages because uh, I, I, I yeah I'm, I'm very very surprised at how many people are but maybe it's just me and you George we we suck at languages that's the trouble we didn't put enough that's, that is very true I mean it just shows the uh, the excitement that Callum has for his uh, Saturday evenings he will be sitting there listening to your voice recordings uh, <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately everybody it has come to that time of this evening where Callum and I have to say goodbye so thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode so as mentioned earlier for the first segment of next week's show we'd like you to send in uh, to take part in that segment but we are after your non-political questions you want george and i to answer so you can send in those questions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through twitter that's at wizardradio so remember uh, that's non-political questions that we're after and we're looking forward to hearing those next week uh, but it's now time for george and i to say ciao for now so i've been the very much not bilingual callum Gurr. <laughs> and I've been the wannabe German-speaking George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. <laughs> <laughs>